Welcome to the BJ Psych International Podcast. In this episode... The older generations would believe that the woman's role is to stay home, look after children, but the new generations will have a different opinion. I think for decades to come, there will be a clash between the two different opinions. Dr. Miyuru Chandradasa discusses gender disparity as a threat to the mental well-being of young Sri Lankan women. Hello and welcome to the BJ Psych International Podcast. My name is Sachin Shah. I'm a general adult psychiatry trainee working in London and I am joined by Hamilton, an FY1 doctor working in London. And today we'll be discussing an article in the November issue of the journal entitled Gender Disparity as a Threat to the Mental Well-Being of Young Sri Lankan Women. Hamilton, what is this article about? So the abstract states that Sri Lanka ranks highest in the region for human development, but hasn't made major strides in gender inequality. More women than men are educated at university level in Sri Lanka, but these educated young women are likely to face psychosocial distress in a patriarchal society where they would be expected to fulfill traditional gender roles. The article describes gender disparities that could affect the mental well-being of young Sri Lankan women and the need for awareness among mental health professionals in the country. So let's get into the background a little. Sri Lanka is an island country in Southeast Asia. The country is home to over 21 million people. According to the CIA World Factbook, the majority religion practiced is Buddhism at around 70% of the population, followed by Hinduism and Islam. So the geographic location of Sri Lanka made it important in terms of trade, and throughout history, it has experienced occupation at the hands of the Portuguese in the 16th century, followed by the Dutch in the 17th century, and was under British colonial rule from 1815 to 1948, when the country gained independence. Sri Lanka has also endured a lengthy civil war from 1983 to 2009, arising from ethnic tensions between the majority Sinhalese and Tamil separatists in the north and east of the island, escalating into war between the Sri Lankan government and the liberation tigers of Tamil Elam. Reports vary of how many were killed during this war, but the BBC estimates it to be between 70,000 to 80,000 people. After the end of the civil war, the country progressed to reach a high human development category within the UN's development programme. This rating from the UN takes into account factors such as life expectancy at birth, which in Sri Lanka is 75.5 years, and years of expected schooling, which in Sri Lanka is 13.9 years. Within this Human Developmental Programme report, the UN notes on gender issues that 12% of Sri Lankan women aged 20 to 24 were married by the age of 18 and 61.7% of married or in union women of reproductive age use any form of contraception. Female share of employment in senior and middle management is only 24%. The maternal mortality ratio is 30 per 100,000 live births, and the country has an adolescent birth rate of 14.1 per 1,000 adolescent girls, which is better than regional figures for South Asia. Also, the ratio of female to male youth unemployment is 1.24. 
5.8% of seats in parliament were held by women at the time of the report, which places Sri Lanka among the lowest among South Asian countries for women's political representation. The percentage of women in parliament has not exceeded 6% since the 1930s. The UN Women Group notes that women are even less represented at municipality and local government level, with only 2% of elected officials between 2008 to 2012. This is in spite of the fact that Sri Lanka elected the first woman prime minister in the world in 1960. Sri Lankan women obtained voting rights in 1931, only three years after women did in the UK. The Gender Inequality Index is a composite measure reflecting inequality and achievement between women and men in three dimensions, reproductive health, empowerment, and the labor market. Sri Lanka ranks 80th among 189 ranked countries on this value, above Argentina and below Fiji. Amnesty International, in their 2017-18 report on Sri Lanka, said, in regards to violence against women and girls, that impunity persisted for various forms of violence against women and girls, including child marriage, domestic violence, human trafficking, rapes by military or law enforcement officers, or assaults by private actors. Now, in terms of mental health, more men than women die by suicide in Sri Lanka though the rate of suicide for women is particularly high on a worldwide scale. These suicides are disproportionately among the young and rural. The journal article states that these acts are mostly made impulsively against perceived wrongful treatment, often related to family disputes and conflicts with intimate partners. For more on gender inequality in Sri Lanka, we speak to one of the authors, Dr. Miuru Chandradasa, based in the University of Kelaniya, Sri Lanka. And we do note that within this interview, we discuss the article as written by Dr. Miuru Chandradasa, or referred to it as being his article. But we do this for brevity, and we acknowledge now that he is the co-writer, along with Dr. Leani Champika Rafnayak. I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist attached to the University of Kalania. So, you know, the capital of Sri Lanka is Colombo and 20 kilometers north of Colombo, there's a city called Ragama. And we have a medical faculty attached to University of Kalania. So Kalania, the word Kalania comes from the famous river in Sri Lanka, which is the Kalani River. So I work as a child and adolescent psychiatrist uh, in the teaching hospital of the medical faculty, which is the Colombo North Teaching Hospital. And I also work as a senior lecturer at the medical faculty and involved in student teaching in the hospital as well as the university. My co-author, Dr. Layani Ratnaika, she's an adult psychiatrist. She is currently working as an adult consultant psychiatrist in Hatton, Sri Lanka, which is close to the hill country. But while we were writing this, both of us were working in Australia. So in Sri Lanka, after your MBBS, you go through the internship, then you do a MD, that is the Doctor of Medicine in Psychiatry, a postgraduate degree. Afterwards, after completing the MD, in order to become a psychiatrist, you have to go for foreign training that is a sort of like a postdoctoral training 
So we are given the option of either working in United Kingdom or Australia. So both of us were working in Australia. That is when we started writing this article. So coming back to your initial question, why did I think of writing this? So that was kind of like a one incident I experienced like while working in Australia in Victoria. So majority of our child and adolescent mental health services team were females. Like we had a psychologist, Jackie, two social workers, Liz and Karen and Kirsten, a mental health nurse. Like one day, there was this news item on the internet saying that the average age for the first childbirth for Australian women have increased from 29 years to 31 years. So that was the news item. I could remember that we were having a discussion about a patient and uh, they started clapping because when they heard this news, because they considered that when the first childbirth age is increased, that gives women a more opportunity to acquire professional and academic qualifications leading to more gender empowerment. So it was a very novel experience for me where sometimes even women with professional qualifications in Sri Lanka may be perceived to pursue other traditional roles, becoming a mother, looking after a family. So this drastic disparity in the viewpoint of this made us write this article. Yes. So it's interesting that Dr. Chandradasa mentioned things from his training in Australia, as he in fact mentions that training in another country is in fact part of the Sri Lankan postgraduate psychiatry program training course. And he goes on to mention in his article that experience in more gender sensitive services in high income countries such as UK and Australia, as well as their own local training pathways, could in fact be employed in Sri Lanka to develop more structured and culturally appropriate mental health services for women. So I asked him about how this sort of experience could be used to help develop services in Sri Lanka. While we are in Sri Lanka, especially undergraduate and postgraduate training, which is mostly based on the British system of medical education, we are taught that there should be gender equality. And as medical professionals, it is our utmost duty to guide the society towards achieving that. But rather than learning it from a book or a lecture, experiencing a society or a medical health system or a health service that truly is gender sensitive and treats both genders equally and gives opportunities, maybe as health staff, is a completely different experience. So I think all specialists medical specialists in Sri Lanka are very fortunate that we have this system. So after our MD, we are given an opportunity with paid leave from the government to work in Australia or United Kingdom. So we can gain this experience firsthand. So this firsthand experience, I think leads to a clear attitudinal change in us. So we have that experience. So when we come back to work in Sri Lanka, where both of us, the both authors have come back to Sri Lanka and we are working here right now. So that experience, we can transmit that experience to our patients and our services. So that is a huge benefit.
It's interesting that mention of age at first pregnancy in Australia being higher, as Dr. Chandradasa mentions in his article that, in comparison in Sri Lanka, whilst premarital sex is culturally not accepted in the country, more than 10% of school children and more than 20% of out-of-school adolescents are found to be sexually active, and in fact the use of barrier contraceptives is fairly low in the country in comparison with others. And of course, this has potentially resulted in the consequence of increased vulnerability of young women to sexually transmitted infections and unwanted pregnancies. Now, that's especially important given that in Sri Lanka, abortion is a criminal offence unless performed to save the life of the mother. And therefore, it goes without saying that young women who fall pregnant due to premarital sex would experience this heavy social pressure to seek illegal and unsafe abortions by people who may be unqualified, thus resulting in both physical and psychological trauma. And so all those things together might go some way to explaining why in Australia initial age of pregnancy has gone up and is higher than that of Sri Lanka. Mm. I asked Dr. Chandradasa about this disparity. Compared to the regional counterparts, I think Sri Lanka is slightly better because most of our adolescent girls complete secondary education and because of that, they remain in the school. So we are slightly better than our regional counterparts. But one more thing is some of the epidemiological data in Sri Lanka may not be up to date, but the latest research is shown that the first the average age of first childbirth for a Sri Lankan woman is around the age of 25 years. So each woman in Sri Lanka, the average age is 25. So compared to Australia, where it is 30-31, there's a drastic difference. So there's a five to six years difference where maybe, even though becoming a mother is a very important role, but at times it may be depriving a young woman of maybe acquiring more academic and professional qualifications. For example, the average age a medical undergraduate completes the MBBS in Sri Lanka is 25, 26 years. So usually when you are 26 and you are just graduated from medical school, if you are a male doctor, people would usually ask, okay, what are you going to do for postgraduate studies? They would ask, do you want to become a surgeon? Do you want to become a physician? But from a Sri Lankan female doctor, some people may ask, okay, when are you getting married? When are you going to have your childbirth? Our advice to you is, please don't postpone having a child. So it could be a problematic in the future. So people may not ask the same question from both genders. And also what I have experienced in wards sometimes is, sometimes patients, when they want to talk to a doctor, if they see a male doctor, they will say, are you Bowen? That is how we greet in Sri Lanka. So are you Bowen? Doctor, can I speak to you? But if it's a female doctor, sometimes they will call Miss, can I talk to you? So sometimes they may say the designation or the word doctor sort of like has male attributes. So these are the social cultural contexts that is uh, impacting on how we can proceed to the future.
So in his paper, Dr. Chandradasa does mention that motherhood is considered to be an essential component of a woman's social identity. And in Sri Lankan couples suffering from infertility, pressure from the extended family, myths about the responsibility of infertility and poor marital communication could all lead to significant psychological distress in young women. I asked Dr. Chandradasa about the role of motherhood in Sri Lankan society and how infertility could affect women. There has been a studies in Sri Lanka which has been done in women who have faced difficulties in fertility. So when treated for subfertility in a couple, even though there could be equal reasons in the male partner as well as the female partner, the cultural norm would be to presume that it is the fault of the female, that the female is unable to bear a child. So in case also like, let's say, a female who's doing a postgraduate qualification may postpone having a child for a while. So the, still the people would perceive that the woman may be subfertile. So they would offer some advice to her. So the culture in Sri Lanka would always expect a woman to Maybe they would be all right women working, but they would always see a woman's priority is to look after a family and have children. So, for example, they would say, okay, if you are a male professional, it's all right. You come in late from work. It's all right. You coming home at 7 p.m. because you have to work a lot. You have to think of your promotions. But you are a female professional. You have to be home by 4 p.m. So because you have your responsibilities to the children. So, so if a female is coming late from work because due to a certain responsibility, usually people will not ask why not your husband is early at home looking after your children. So that sense of equality is not ingrained in our societies. But slightly, so as I mentioned in the article, Every year, the number of female graduates is rising. So I'm a medical faculty teacher, a university lecturer. And in our faculty, every year we are saying, every new batch, the percentage of female undergraduates in medicine is rising very rapidly. And apart from medicine, we also teach speech and language pathology students. And almost 99% of the speech and language pathologists are females as well. So this new group of new generations of female graduates are in a transition period. So the older generations would believe that the woman's role is to stay home, look after children. But the new generations will have a different opinion. I think for decades to come, there will be a clash between the two different opinions. So it will cause a lot of friction leading to psychological distress, possibly in young women. In his article, Dr. Chandradasa does mention that in Sri Lanka, an equal proportion of men and women obtain secondary education. And in fact, 63% of all state university entrants were female. So in these areas, it seems that Sri Lanka is doing quite well in terms of equality. There is a high proportion of females in university in Sri Lanka, but what Dr. Chandradasa then writes is that this does not seem to translate into employment, and I asked him about this. Even though at times women may hold equal or even higher than qualifications at the workplace, still when it comes to administrative positions, 
or positions or designations with power, there's a tendency that male is likely to be considered first. For example, if it's a school, if there are teachers who have equal qualifications or a female with higher qualifications, when selecting a principal, they would consider a male first more than a female because they would say things like becoming a principal is hard. It is very hard for a woman to do that job. They would say this is a very tough task. Students would expect a good disciplinarian. So they would expect to have a male principal. Then also if a female is putting their hands up saying, okay, I'm going to apply for this, they would say, uh, don't worry about it. Why don't you worry about your own family commitments? Becoming a principal is so hard. Don't worry about it. So there's this power distribution between the two genders. It's not tallying with the qualifications they have. On the other hand, the other aspect is I see that most Sri Lankan women are psychologically resilient. They are emotionally very resilient. And at times, they're despite having a lot of family contributions, spending time with their children, still they continue their academic work, they do research, they present papers, they take clinical responsibilities, but sometimes they are not given the same recognition as a male. So hopefully with many more female graduates coming to the university as undergraduates and in the future, these undergraduates becoming full-time academics in the universities and hopefully in the future most of the university academics would be also females and when that time comes I think they can speak for a change in the society so they would have a more voice so it may be a slow process but I have a lot of hope because we are heading in the right direction so factors that make this hard for make this change to happen is some people, including some women, believe in that the women should have a more, mostly be at home and should be homemakers. So it will take time. So I think uh, in our culture, many people listen to what the doctors have to say. So becoming a doctor, so that kind of a profession has a lot of respect. So even sometimes this is related to, not directly to psychiatry, because this is nothing to do with the mental disorder, but it is to do mostly with the psychosocial distress and a social change, a social perception. I think why the psychiatry should get involved is that doctors have a lot of respect from the society. So the profession of a medical professional has a lot of respect. So if we can contribute to this change in social perception, I think it is going to be successful. So sometimes people would say medical professionals or the psychiatrists doesn't have a role in this. We should not speak about it because our duty is to look after people with schizophrenia, bipolar depression, obsessive compulsive disorder and not to contribute to a social perception change. I think it's our duty because it is related to mental health and we should look beyond diagnostic criterion and we should try to help make this social change in the coming years. In his article, Dr. Chandradasa does go on to say that 
the female suicide rate in Sri Lanka is unfortunately one of the highest in the world and that there are quite high rates of self-harm in young women living in rural disadvantaged groups. So Sachin, why do you think the suicide rate is so high in women in Sri Lanka? Well, I put this question to Dr. Chandradasa as to whether he felt that this was due to the gender disparity in Sri Lanka or whether there might be other factors that contribute, such as poverty levels or access to healthcare. Yes, it is partly related to poverty as well. Yes, that is true. But also there's this element of when you are a female in certain social cultural contexts, you will not have opportunities to emotionally express yourself like as a male. For example, let's say there's a family dispute because of the patriarchal nature of the society. Maybe the husband, maybe the father would take a decision on behalf of everyone. So if you are the wife, if you are the daughter, if you are the mother, you may not have the same voice as the male counterpart. So in that context, it is likely that a woman would feel overwhelmed because she is not given an opportunity to express herself emotionally. So this unexpressed, unrecognized emotional distress is affecting women's long-term mental health. And after some time, after they have endured this mental distress for some time, there would be a time they would no longer be able to bear it and they may express it by harming themselves or sometimes committing suicide. So there's a lot of, lot of young women present into hospitals, mental health units with self-harm. So when assessing these young women, it is very clear that their opinions, their, there is no space to express their emotions. And when they express emotions, they are dismissed or they are given advice not to do so. So as mental health professionals, we have to be mindful of that. And also we have to be culturally sensitive. Sometimes as psychiatrists would think that, okay, we can advise the family. You have to give the same right to this woman to express themselves. But it is not that easy. Sometimes we have to be mindful of the cultural context and give appropriate advice, maybe slight changes in how the families work. So there'll be more opportunities for more women to take responsibilities, express themselves and relieve their mental distress. So Dr. Chandradasa writes that Sri Lanka is a Buddhist majority country and that rifts between married partners and in-laws surrounding and expectations from grandparents of being able to be significantly involved in child rearing, how it can be an issue for grandparents because in Buddhist majority country, all the people still engage in deeply religious activities in preparing for a noble birth after their death and Temples are often heavily attended by senior citizens who are learning and practicing meditation. How much of a role, as of course religion plays a major role in any society and, and social values in turn influence mental health, how much of a role do you think Buddhism has in the mental health of women in Sri Lanka? Well, that's an interesting one because the article does mention that if anything, Buddhism has a fairly progressive view of gender equality. So I put that to Dr. Chandradasa. 
regarding the influence that Buddhism has on social gender norms within Sri Lanka? Yes, I think it is a very sensitive issue. So what I would like to say is that there are certain elements in the majority religion, Buddhism, that cultivates gender equality. For example, things like Lord Buddha preached that women and men are both able to develop their minds to attain the state of arahat, to become the perceive the truth in life. So they, Lord Buddha always preached that women are not secondary to men. They are able to do the same as men. So in that context and also in, in our own culture of Buddhism, the Sri Lankan culture of Buddhism, there are two very significant events in our history that gives very prominence to women. The first is, so the most holiest place for Buddhists in Sri Lanka is called the Temple of Tooth, which is in the center of the country, there is Kandy. So in Kandy, this Temple of Tooth means there's this sacred tooth of Lord Buddha, which is preserved in this sacred temple where a lot of Buddhists visit from all over the world. So this tooth was bought to Sri Lanka by a woman about 2,500 years ago. That is the first event. Second event is the second sacred place for Buddhists in Sri Lanka is the Jayasri Mahabodhi. That is the abode planted in Anuradhapura in the north central part of Sri Lanka, which is a branch of the exact tree where Lord Buddha attained in uh, India. So, that branch of the bow tree was brought to Sri Lanka by Sangamita Thero. So it sounds like in the very foundations of Buddhism, women were known to have played a major role. And therefore, there is in fact this concept and appreciation of equality between men and women in Buddhism. And he goes on to cite a paper by Prawit Pralino et al. in 2012, which found that predominantly Buddhist countries in fact have better gender equality compared with those favouring other traditional religions, such as Hinduism and Islam. Finally, I would like to say is that this article was aimed at increasing the awareness and possibly an attitudinal change in mental health professionals and, if possible, in other medical professionals. So that was the interview with Dr. Miyuru Chandradasa, and we thank him for his time in discussing gender inequality and the effects on mental health in Sri Lanka with us. So before reading this article, I knew very little about the history of Buddhism in Sri Lanka, and therefore it was quite a pleasant surprise to learn that actually there were prominent female figures involved in the history of Buddhism in Sri Lanka. Yeah, in fact, the article mentions that the female Aharat monk Sangamita played a significant role in introducing Buddhism to Sri Lanka in the 3rd century BC. I was also just going to say that I think it's interesting to see an article that looks at differing mental health needs between male and female populations outside of the context that we often get taught about in medical school of for example, perinatal mental health, where and then otherwise things are more or less exactly the same. Of course, it's not just gender, is it? it's cultural as well. 
but it, it is an interesting approach to appreciate that there are differing mental health needs between men and women in certain countries uh, or indeed well who's to say there aren't different needs in this country that well exactly and i guess it yeah. makes us uh, reflect on the inequality that is present in all countries between men and women because these different mental health needs are born out of that inequality which be it different rights that women don't have or are achieving and then differences in employment and in the societal role that women play in Sri Lanka, but also thinking about the societal role that women play here in the UK, it makes sense that women face different mental health stresses. Yes, they absolutely facing different forms of adversity. Hmm. And I was particularly interested in the fact that the article doesn't paint Sri Lanka as completely non-progressive in terms of gender inequality because clearly it's better than the region in some ways. For example, the maternal mortality ratio and the adolescent birth rate is actually pretty good for the South Asia region. And Sri Lanka is doing quite well in terms of female education, including the fact that more women than men end up entering university. And so this isn't a picture of, oh, it's a patriarchal society and thus Sri Lanka is failing on all counts. There are counts on which it is progressive, but there are progresses to be made. And it's good that the article identifies that within the context of balance. It was quite interesting to hear Dr. Chandradasa talk about the aspect of women in Sri Lanka not being able to emotionally express themselves and that leading to potential mental health problems. And the reason I find it so interesting is because the discussion in the West and in this country is quite different with the idea of men being seen as not being able to emotionally express themselves and of course, that is not in any way to say that women in this country don't face difficulties of emotional expression. I guess it's just general themes and trends around discussions going on in mental health awareness. Yeah, like we talk about how men don't tend to seek help in the UK. And it's interesting how the discussion in Sri Lanka is slightly different, at least by what Dr. Chandadasa says in that it's women who face difficulties expressing themselves within the family and having any kind of outlet for how they're feeling. I'm going to leave you with what the article discusses about the future of gender inequality in Sri Lanka. The article writes at the end that it appears that Sri Lankan women of the future will be more educated than men. However, they are likely to face a changing patriarchal society and are likely to develop psychological issues that would require greater support from health professionals. With the end of armed conflict and improved living conditions, a substantial portion of Sri Lankan psychiatrists who trained in high-income countries are returning to their home country. 
This foreign exposure is a compulsory advanced training component of the Sri Lankan postgraduate psychiatry program. Their experience in more gender-sensitive services in high-income countries such as the UK and Australia, as well as their local training, could be employed to develop more structured and culturally appropriate mental health services for Sri Lankan women. Collaborative work between mental health specialists, professional organizations, and health administrators and policymakers is essential to make this a reality. And that article is in the November issue of the BJ Psych International. Thank you for joining us and join us next time for more discussion on the journal. I've been Sachin Shah. And I've been Hamilton Morin. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this BJ Psych International podcast. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at the BJ Psych. To listen to more podcasts from the BJ Psych Journal portfolio, visit us on SoundCloud or search for us online.